What shall we say about Simon Peter? He is an immense character in Jesus' story, isn't he? Andrew introduces him to Jesus and Jesus Im immediately seems to take a sense of who this man is. And Simon Peter becomes known by the nickname that Jesus gives him. Petra the Rock, Peter. Throughout the three years of Jesus' ministry, other disciples are mentioned. <clears throat> John, because he's the disciple that Jesus loved. Thomas, who obviously had his ups and downs with Jesus. Nathaniel, because at first he's so, well, we'd say gobsmacked that anything good can come out of, uh, out of Nazareth. But Peter is consistently, well, he's consistently himself. We know that we'd all fall out with Peter at some stage. But we'd say things about him like, but he's good hearted. He's a hundred percenter. Takes on responsibility. This Peter towers in the middle of this group of disciples. <clears throat> it's no mistake that he goes on to become the organiser of the group, the, the main spokesperson, the one who risks everything. Peter, a rock. And if we think about his background, there he is, a fisherman. Peter the fisherman. And you know what this means in, we could call it Middle Eastern culture, but he's, he's not only the person who works the boats, but he's the proprietor as well. He has part ownership in the boat. The boat is to support his family and his siblings and so on and so forth. <clears throat> I once asked a Moroccan fisherman, why, why is it, do you think, that Jesus chose four fishermen to be his disciples? Maybe more. He didn't know. I think I have an answer. Because a fisherman is an expert in vicissitudes. We don't need to pick up the dictionary to understand what vicissitude means. We, we all go through vicissitudes. Life is full of them. Ups and downs. The roller coaster ride of life. In uh, Galilean fishing terms, the peaks and troughs, the waves. The storms and the and the becomement. Yeah. Fishing folk were well used to uh, to plenty, 
and to famine. A good catch, a zero catch. And whatever they caught today, well, it would be adequate. Salted, I suppose, for a little while. But no refrigeration, no long-term, no long-lasting benefit of today's work. <clears throat> Fishing folk were perfect, weren't they, for following the life of Jesus? One day to be hosted in some Pharisee's large house or a tax collector's house. Other days to be out in the desert and wondering how they're going to find food for 5,000 men and their families. Fishing folk were used to feast or famine. I think they were a good choice for Jesus, don't you? Because people who can walk through the vicissitudes, who can keep their eye on the horizon and also on the boat underneath their feet to check it for its leaks and its creaks and <clears throat> its listing and so on. To see the long distance, but also to appreciate the importance of uh, Andrew introduces him to Jesus and Jesus Im immediately seems to take a sense of who this man is. And Simon Peter becomes known by the nickname that Jesus gives him. Petra the Rock, Peter, John, because he's the disciple that Jesus loved. Thomas, who obviously had his ups and downs with Jesus. Nathaniel, because at first he's so, well, we'd say gobsmacked that anything good can come out of, uh, out of Nazareth. But Peter is consistently, well, he's consistently himself. We know that we'd all fall out with Peter at some stage. But we'd say things about him like, but he's good hearted. He's a hundred percenter. Takes on responsibility. This Peter towers in the middle of this group of disciples. <clears throat> it's no mistake that he goes on to become the organiser of the group, the, the main spokesperson, the one who risks everything. Peter, a rock. And if we think about his background, there he is, a fisherman. Peter, the fisherman. And... You know what this means in, we could call it Middle Eastern culture, but he's, he's not only the person who works the boats, but he's the proprietor as well. 
he has part ownership in the boat. To appreciate the importance <clears throat> of enjoying the moment, these would be the ways that uh, fisher folk could deal with the vicissitudes of life, feast and famine, wave and trough. And Peter was right there, the proprietor of this fishing enterprise, who literally dropped his nets to follow Jesus. Mm. And you see, this is... <clears throat> This is a key moment in Peter's life, of course, but it's also a key moment in the life of our church. If Peter listens to his brother, and presumably they'd been interested in faith and interested in religious things before meeting Jesus. If Peter and his brother had decided, well, Jesus wasn't really the real thing, then who knows what gospel might have been written and what changes there would have been in it. But Peter, the proprietor of the vessel, a son of Zebedee, who was, presu was presumably Zebedee's sons, the, 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 the fishing company on the Lake of Galilee, had Peter not recognised a pearl of great price in following Jesus, something greater than today's worries or today's triumphs, something that would outlast eternity. If, if, if Peter hadn't seen that in Jesus there was, oh, the, the hope of life, well, he wouldn't have dropped his nets. He wouldn't have abandoned his business. And being the person of, uh, of faith that he became. <clears throat> now, this is Peter's great strength. His decision, his decisiveness. And, and we see it at different times, don't we? When Jesus is walking on the water, Peter jumps out of the boat to, to meet him. Not thinking that, of course, he hasn't learnt, as none of us have, to walk on water. His decision at that point, it's crucial. What about um, his decision over who do you say that I am? And Peter says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. His words are recorded for all time as a testimony. A lasting one of who Jesus is. So, Peter's decision is always based on what is right to do in that moment, or at least it seems so. So that's a strength. Another strength is his undoubted courage. Now, this seems strange in the light of John chapter 20, uh, John chapter 18 and 19. <coughs> but Peter, Peter was courageous. Peter was the one who struck the, the servant of the high priest. 
who was about to go to all-out war, to go to the mattresses for his saviour. And that's another strength that Peter had, his loyalty, his loyalty to Jesus. There is something wonderful about the loyalty of this. Presumably, we, we feel that he must have been a big man, this big uh, family, business, practical person. The loyalty that he shows for Jesus is just immense. Where shall we go? He says, you have the words of eternal life. And there's another strength. Now, we don't imagine that Peter is particularly educated. There's no reason to believe that he would have been. But he's able to grasp deep truths and to word them. We would be impressed by meeting Peter, wouldn't we? So, <clears throat> here is Peter, the natural leader of this ragtag group of disciples who are diminishing in number as Jesus gets closer to the crucifixion. But there is one weakness, I believe, in Peter that we have to account for. And it's this, that he is too anxious to please. Now we see this twice. We see it in John chapter 13. You know what I'm referring to? Jesus washing the disciples' feet comes to Peter and Peter says, No, Lord, you shall not wash my feet. And after an altercation, well, wash all of me then. Now, even the most inadequate pop psychology tells us that Peter, in wanting to prove that he respects Jesus, is over anxious to please, isn't he? He's enjoyed those moments <clears throat> where Jesus has said, ah, this was given to you by God. He's enjoyed those moments of, of brief triumph. But, but he's got it wrong. He's got a sense that it's by trying hard, by trying to please Jesus, that he will in somehow, in some way, Gain acceptance in Jesus. Stop right there. God gave you great strengths. He, he made you uniquely fingerprinted. And when you called on him, he promised you the infilling of his Holy Spirit. And he promised you gifts of ministry in the church. He didn't promise to make you rich. He didn't promise to make life easy for you. But he promised you life in his Holy Spirit, oneness in the body of Christ, 
and he promised you gifts to fulfill your role within that. And you know, in all of that, there is the promise that your life, through the forgiveness of sins and the exercise of faith, will bring glory to the Heavenly Father, to your God and my God. But like Peter, <clears throat> some of us are tussling and we are trying to gain approval by Jesus. We're, we're trying to, we're, we're, we're lifting our hands up in class and doing that straining noise. Or we're running to meet him when, when he's coming towards us and, and we're, we're wanting to show him stuff and to say, look, and then I did this and then I did that and then I did the other. And we are trying for approval. And how often is a great strength also a great weakness? Think about Peter's loyalty, his decision, his sense of worth. They're all strengths. But combined together and slightly misdirected, they become a weakness for him. And that weakness is trying for approval. <clears throat> now the fisher folk, fishermen, they don't seek approval of the earth or the water. They just get themselves prepared and they faithfully go out each day and they understand that what they catch has something to do with grace, actually. Grace and preparation combined. <clears throat> but Peter hadn't transferred that thought to the way that he dealt with Jesus. He'd, he'd become all little boy again, hadn't he? Choose me, choose me, pick me, pick me. And the moment after Peter, and this is our second, <clears throat> second time that he betrays this, um, this need to please. The moment after he proclaimed Christ, you are the Christ, the son of the risen God, uh, the living God, sorry. He then upbraids Jesus for saying that, for Jesus saying that he's going away. And Jesus turns to him and says, get behind me. And Peter does it again. I, you know, I'll, I'll never desert you. And again, you could say that's his loyalty, that's his decision, that's his sense of what, what has true value, eternal value. He's looking at the horizon and not just under his feet, but it's misdirected. And when he says, I'll never leave you, Jesus looks at him 
And this is very important for us to understand how we relate to Jesus. But when Jesus looks at him, he says, not betray me? You'll betray me three times before the cocks even crowed tonight. And so it happens. And all four accounts tell us that Peter wept, <clears throat> that he was devastated by his behaviour. Aren't you one of those? No, I've never seen him. In one account that he uses curses to say that he'd, he'd never met Jesus. What a sense of wounding there is in him. And let's be honest, G uh, Peter is not the first person to meet the risen Christ either, is he? It's the women. And there's even a point in the book of John which tells us that John ran faster than Peter. Even though Peter was straining to get to the tomb. To find the stone rolled away. To see the grave clothes rolled up and separated. To see the angel who says, why are you looking for the living among the dead? We see Peter straining once again for that approval. Now hold that thought. When Jesus has appeared to the disciples, there's no great record of what he says to them in the book of John. But what we know is that while he still walks the earth after rising again, Peter organises a fishing trip. <clears throat> oh, wait a minute. Can't we hear the stirring of the waters here? Can't we hear the wind coming through the valley? Can't we see the clouds darkening? Peter, having betrayed Jesus, now having seen the risen Christ, decides to go back fishing. And he takes with him the full crew. Nathaniel, Andrew, the, the sons of thunder. And they go on a fishing trip. Back to Galilee. Back to business as it was. Can you see something wrong with that picture? And yet so obvious. The one who's tried all of his life. The one who's tried with Jesus to gain his approval. <coughs> the one who was able to shed his business. To make a decision that would take him onto the choppy waters. Whose loyalty took him to violence against overwhelming odds in the garden is turning back to what he knows to fishing again to making a living 
And how appropriate, of course, that he doesn't catch anything. In earlier accounts, uh, in the Gospel of Luke and the Gospel of Matthew, <clears throat> when Peter first meets Jesus, Jesus gives him some advice about fishing. Why don't you throw the nets over onto the other side of the boat? Peter says, well, been fishing all night, but I suppose if you ask us to, we'll do it. And when he pulls up all those fish, he's alarmed at the righteousness of the one who has given him that instruction. And he says, depart from me, I'm a sinful man. And he must now, three years on, be thinking as he's fishing in this boat and fishing and not catching anything. And then he sees a figure on the shore who says, why don't you throw the nets on the other side? There is an echo of the past here. And when he does it, of course, the nets are full to the brim with fish, though they've been fishing all this time without catching anything. And he looks to the shore and he says, it is the Lord. Now this detail I love. He puts his clothes on before he jumps into the, into the sea. It's clear that he wants to be presentable to Jesus. He's trying again, you see, for his approval. <coughs> trying to be dressed right for meeting his Lord. Not surprised when Jesus appears in the room through the locked door but this time prepared. And he swims to shore in his clothes. And there on the shore, Jesus prepares breakfast for them because Jesus is a feeder. He's the giver of good things. He's the sharer of all his majesty and life. And then they have a conversation on the shore. And it's a very simple one. It's three questions and they're all the same question. Jesus, do, Jesus asks, Peter, do you agape me? Do you love me with that pure love of God? Peter says, I, I love you as a brother. Jesus says, do you agape me? Peter says, I love you as a brother. Jesus says, okay, so you love me as a brother. And each time he says, feed my sheep. Look after my sheep. Shepherd my sheep. Here's the good shepherd. passing his mantle to his disciples to leave the water where they fish for fish to go to land to become fishers of men and his command to Peter is look if you love me 
shepherd, protect my lambs. At this point, <coughs> Peter's wounds come to the surface. Why do you keep asking me this? If I love you, if I love you, if I love you. And this is one of the most inconclusive discussions in the gospel. And yet it tells us something great about Jesus and great about Peter. First of all, Jesus does not need Peter to seek approval, but he asks him to obey him. Jesus invites Peter and he challenges him. He calls him to himself. He doesn't say, you know what, you really let me down on the night of my crucifixion. He restores Peter by also challenging him. And this is the way of Christ the teacher. Not to get bogged down in the personal. Though he loves Peter. Though he loves him beyond measure. But he doesn't get bogged down in that. He brings him a challenge. Feed my sheep, shepherd my people, protect my lambs. Peter the fisherman needs it to be drilled home to him that Jesus has placed on him a responsibility that he must take seriously and it's the responsibility that is driven by his love for Jesus. Oh, you want to show your loyalty and your love and your decision and your, uh, and, and your thought of eternity with me? Then do this simple thing. Stop trying to dress up to impress me. Stop trying to make your words so great that I'll be somehow smitten by the beauty of your prayers. Stop trying to remind me of what you have done or what you haven't done. Feed my lambs, shepherd my people, protect my sheep. Jesus is strong on invitation. And he's strong on challenge, isn't he? If you love me, you'll obey my commands, says Jesus. And I think we can almost feel Peter rising at this moment in stature. That the back that's bowed or the head that's cowed because he knows that he's let Jesus down. Starts to straighten and he's able to look Jesus in the eye. And yes, there's wounding there. There's a sense of inadequacy, of being wrong. Why do you keep asking me this? Yes, of course I love you, he says. But actually, there's a healing in that moment that can't be written in human words, but it's there for eternity. Now, Peter is to leave fishing. 
and he's to go back to Jerusalem. And he's to do what the Lord asked him to do. And what wonders await him. And what glories and what suffering. Yes, more vicissitudes. But then Jesus had prepared him for that, hadn't he? Happy Easter. The Lord is risen. He's risen indeed. Hallelujah.